We've got people who are struggling. We've got customers who are frustrated. We've got customers who can't accomplish their tasks. We've got customers who get crappy emails from us. I think that's what it takes. And I think that's why I'm, I'm shooting for low ego more than anything else. Because if we can put ourselves aside, then we can mm -hmm. focus on all the target users and customers, whether or not we happen to be high empathy people, since true empathy is rare. Whether or not we happen to be high compassion people, because true compassion is rare. So I'm trying to not judge that in people. I think it's more important to be able to say, I take myself out of the equation. Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be, and hosted by Design to Be founder, me, Rachel Weissman. Design to Be is a community that elevates designers to become empowered, educated, and effective using EQ-based tools and practices. Designers, we know it's essential to fine-tune our craft in order to lead or create real impact. Yet, what most of us don't focus on is our relationship with the craft itself. Throughout the design process, we might experience creative blocks, burnout, overwhelm, or conflict with team members or stakeholders. Design to be aims to change that by helping to grow your EQ, by weaving authenticity, awareness, curiosity, empathy, fulfillment, meditation, resilience, trust, and much more into your design process. As designers, we love to do, we love to create, we love to reinvent, we love to uncover new solutions. What will make these creations, inventions, and solutions even more effective and unique are when we learn how to be. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. In today's episode, I speak with Debbie Levitt. Debbie is the CXO of Delta CX and has been a CX and UX strategist, designer, and trainer since the 1990s. As a serial contractor who lived in the Bay Area for most of this decade, Debbie has influenced interfaces at Sony, Wells Fargo, Constant Contact, Macy's.com, Oracle, and a variety of Silicon Valley startups. Clients have given her the name Mary Poppins because she flies in, improves everything she can, sings a few songs, and flies away to her next adventure. In today's episode, we dive into what a low ego action hero is, what are the actions of high and low ego designers, the relationship between self-awareness and ego, the intersection between empathy, knowledge, and meaning, the difference between sympathy, empathy, and compassion, and what skills to develop and to become a low ego action hero designer. Welcome, Debbie, to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel and the Design to Be team. So today's theme, which I love that Debbie coined this phrase. So it's elevate your EQ and be a low ego action hero. So when Debbie and I were talking about what the topic should be, she was like, okay, but really need the title really needs to have the phrase low ego action hero. And so I was like, let's go with it. Let's go with it. So I'm so curious how that phrase came to be and if you could give a bit more context around that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and thanks again for having me on. So in 2018, I spent a lot of the year touring the known universe doing talks to non-UX conferences. I had written a program for like engineers, product managers, agile coaches, lean evangelists. I really wanted them to understand what CX and UX were and to stop pooping on us at work. And I went around speaking at all of these DevOps conferences and stuff like that. So I know a little bit about DevOps now. But I found that whenever I would do my talk and people loved it and they would come talk to me afterwards and they'd go, you know, we have this UX guy at work. Oh, he's an artsy fartsy hipster. He's this and that. And and no matter where I was in the world, I would hear about these supposedly annoying or terrible people. And, and I would see what was coming out of the engineering community, at least that I found was oh yeah, UX, they're so high ego and we don't want to hire rock stars and we don't want anyone with a rock star attitude. And so while those of us, when when you call me a rock star, I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. That's so wonderful Mm -hmm. of you. But but yet then (laughs) on the opposite of this, they're like, oh, these people are rock stars and they meant it as an insult and we take it as a compliment. So I'm like, oh, there's a weird break here. So I thought, you know what? No matter what, at our jobs, we have to be action heroes. It doesn't really matter. Almost nothing else matters other than the actions we've taken. Obviously, hopefully these are informed by good research and, and good architecture and design, but it's all about the being an action hero for our customers and users. So I started thinking like, and you know what? We need to be low ego. We We can't be whoever they think we are. And so I just started calling everybody. I wrote into my book, we have to be low ego action heroes. And so now that's what I call my community out on the interwebs. I love that story. And bridging ego with action is so important because I very much resonate where designers get this like identity of being this like they're this, these saviors that do all these things and they think super highly of themselves. When in fact, so many designers have such a deep lens of humility and empathy. And, and they're all struggling with imposter syndrome. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're being <laughs> shouted out, you, you're rock stars. We don't Completely. want rock stars. And I'm mm-hmm. like, not so many. So Yeah. Thanks for giving the context of how that came to be. And I feel like what would really help folks on the call now and who listen to this later is giving a base set and uh understanding of what ego is. So from your perspective, what's your definition of ego, possibly in general, but also in the context of design? Yeah. So obviously I'm not a psychologist. They're going to have a better definition, but I I think that there's good ego and there's bad ego. I mean, in general, we think of ego as self-esteem and self-confidence and those aren't bad things. We should have those. But then obviously when you're calling someone egotistical, you know, my boss is an egotistical jerk. Well, then you're probably not saying they have wonderful self-confidence and they have lovely self-esteem that rubs off on everybody. It sounds like it's gone to a place where it's now hurting others. So obviously it's important to love yourself and, and find things you like about yourself, but it sounds like there's some actions or behaviors that at some point cross a line where we find those people somewhat awful. And I think one interesting thing about, you know, like if you work with a procrastinator, you'll figure it out. If you work with 
you know, some of these other qualities, you figure it out, but there's something about working with either the egotistical person or the narcissist where Mm -hmm. all bets are off. Like those people are just insufferable. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's okay to have some ego, especially in your personal life. It's good to be confident, Mm -hmm. but I always say like, beware of your confidence slipping into arrogance. I once had an ex-boyfriend call me at a crazy hour and rant at me for hours. And I was like, you're arrogant. And he says, what's your definition of arrogant? And I said, confidence without merit. And Mm. he said, I accept your definition. And I never (laughs) heard from him again. So I think confidence is great, but we just have to be careful of when this slides into either overconfidence or any set of behaviors that hurt or alienate others. Mm -hmm. What do you think is that tipping point? Because I feel like it's very easy to be like, they're egotistical or they're having this kind of intense behavior. Maybe someone you're collaborating with at work and they have this kind of intense behavior. How can someone like pinpoint this and make sure that they're not doing (laughs) this themselves? Yeah. Some of the things that I think tend to fall into the bucket for someone we think is high ego or egotistical. For me, it starts with need to be right. This person Mm -hmm. needs to be right. And that will come out in ways from find me the data that proves me right, Mm -hmm. or the conflict that ensues at work when you have some reason to believe that their idea is not the best and they can't deal with that Mm -hmm. because their idea has to be the best because they're the manager or the highest paid person or the product manager Mm -hmm. or, or whoever they are. So someone who kind of crumbles quickly when it looks like they're not going to be right. And that's kind of a cousin of resilience, which is a great EQ word that gets thrown around a lot Mm -hmm. and and very important for CX and UX work, which is we're wrong a lot. All the time. You can celebrate (laughs) that. Yeah. You can celebrate that and use that as a learning moment. Or mm-hmm. you can fall to pieces. And, and I tell mm-hmm. people like, if you have a conflict or you get proven wrong, it's okay to have some minutes of ouch, but then you've got to be able to bounce back from that quickly. And mm-hmm. I like to say, I don't take things personally, even when they're meant personally. Mm-hmm. And so. I think that resilience is really important and that learning to rebound quickly from disappointments, from conflicts, from being proven wrong or having been embarrassed by something. Mm -hmm. This happens to all of us. And don't poop on yourself for too long with that. We've got to be resilient because it's a conflict-ridden profession. I think egotistical people aren't good collaborators. They don't really want your opinion. It might be beyond your opinion. You might be the expert the subject matter expert. Hi, I've been working in e-commerce since 1997. Yeah, we're not going to ask you. We've got an intern. You know, so I I think that high ego people or people having a high ego moment don't want to truly collaborate. They want to dominate. I think sometimes that that's passed off as democratization, but I often see that as a desire for other domains to semi-control ours. And a couple of other things like not asking for help. The high ego person isn't going to ask for help when they get stuck. Whereas many of us are going to be like, oh, I'm a little stuck. Who should I talk to? Do it. Power plays. And of course, finally, designing what you like. (laughs) Yeah. Accidentally thinking you're the user, you're the customer, or you're just like them, or you happen to use this product. And so I'm going to design what I like. And I, I think these are all just mistakes. These are high ego moments and they're, they're mistakes. 
Yeah. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. This cause of possibly always needing to be right or like designing for yourself is a lot of times being so fixed in your own identity. Possibly it's like the superpower boss and like, I need to be this person. And they're so wrapped up in the story that has happened in the past or really holding onto their identity rather than being more open for growth or more open for what could possibly happen, which might be really scary for people. <laughs> and that that fear is a lot of time is what's underneath that because it, it takes vulnerability to collaborate no matter what <laughs> level you're at, whether it be the intern or working on those e-commerce experience for the past 20 years. So could you share an example that you were designing something with someone and on the flip side, they had a low ego and what are things that they portrayed? Possibly it's a personal story, but to give an example of possibly what folks could look out for to inspire them on a day to day. Hmm, an example of working with someone and they were low ego. I think that for me, that mostly translates to a constant unwavering focus on, on the users and the customers and who they truly are. And mm-hmm. where we don't know who they are to admit that, say, this is a piece of information we don't have. This could be a reason to spin up more research. But I don't think I have a particular story that jumps out at me because I've, I, and I've worked with many lovely people who were not high ego artsy fartsy hipsters or whatever we want to call them. But when I just think about what they had in common in general, mm-hmm. I think it was being able to tie everything back to the customer and hopefully good research, whether that's generative research to learn more about customers and their their tasks and their needs and their workarounds. You know, we keep saying pain points, but really that's more about tasks and workarounds. Or if it's evaluative, like we have a concept we want to try on people. And like I always say, you know, I hope we find the bugs. You know, I hope we find the problems. I Prove mm-hmm. me wrong, you know? Yeah. I always tell a story about a test that I did where I had made a kind of stupid interaction design mistake and every single tester found it. And I was like, I didn't even notice that. Thank you, everybody. Crappy gestalt principles. I did it. So I can make a mistake. You know, I'm not a genius. I think I'm pretty good at this, but like, please help me make this better. And I think that's a trade as well. Even if it's not specifically a collaboration, people who are looking for maybe a coachable moment or a sharing moment of like, hey, I designed this. I'm pretty happy with it, but take a look at it. How can it be better? I think the people who keep asking themselves, how can this be better? are more likely to be maybe higher on an EQ scale than the people who are like, ah, it's good enough. Just put it out there. We'll fix it later. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to necessarily say that's high ego, but it sucks. And it rarely (laughs) works out for the customer. And we're all crying about it and quitting jobs. That very much resonates. I feel like the aspect of really being open to when you're connecting with people, but also being ready to not only make the product better, but you as a designer better. And the folks that are possibly more holding on to, I'm fine as it is, which sometimes it is okay to be right where you are and that's completely fine. And maybe the product's okay where it is. But I love how you said being, please please disagree with me, please disagree. (laughs) But it's a definite being open to this constant form of iteration and trying to uh, make better. I I love that. 
Say people have been listening to this so far. We're only like 15 minutes in, but I feel like we've given a lot of context about like what ego is and why it's beneficial. But say someone's like, Debbie, I'm not sold. I'm not sold. I don't think this is for me. I'm set in my ways. I'm good. Why should a designer invest in developing their ego? Or managing your ego. I do believe that there are some personality types that are not going to experience as much career success in UX or CX as others. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're about to get fired. It doesn't mean you'll never be a manager. But I do think that if companies were to raise their standards for the people working in CX and UX, I can see people with ego problems getting cut. And, and, And that's partially because hands up, who likes the high ego people they work with now in any department? The high ego engineers, the high ego managers. These are people we don't love. And I think if more companies had some higher standards for some of the CX and UX workers, they'd be like, Get rid of that person. Mm -hmm. So I think that whether it's something you're looking to develop to improve personal relationships or it's something you're looking to improve for business or career reasons, I think you just can't go wrong really just talking about self-awareness. We're talking Mm -hmm. about having more self-awareness to know when am I being high ego? When am I a little bit off the rails here? When am I being selfish in a bad way? Because I believe in selfish in a good way, though more in the personal life and less at work. When am I somebody nobody wants to work with? Working on that self-awareness is important for personal life and and career. So I don't know if I can sell it to you, but I know I can say something that will, you know, certainly be slightly controversial, but I'm going to say empathy is not enough. We're all throwing around the word empathy right now. Just have empathy, create empathy, step one, have empathy, run a workshop and have empathy. And the reality Mm. is that most of that empathy isn't even empathy. It's sympathy at best, and it's guessing and assuming at worst. Mm. And very often that empathy is totally fake and made up. And as I say in my book, if your company can send an email to someone whose child died and your email says, don't forget to shop for back to school, then I don't want to hear about your empathy. Because companies send out back to school emails all the time, but do you bother to stop to figure out if that person has a child, lost a child? No, we don't. So I don't want to hear about your empathy because I think people are just being too lazy about so much of the product and the interfaces. So F your empathy and your empathy is probably totally made up and just a sticky note on a wall. And I usually say empathy is nothing without knowledge and action. We have to back it with qualitative research and then we have to take the right actions. Otherwise you had empathy. Congratulations. I'll throw you a party. The trophy's in the mail, but it's not going to be enough. I love how <laughs> passionate you are about this. It's, it's incredible to say for folks that like, but Debbie, I, I feel like I have empathy. But maybe my company's still sending these emails and I'm really feeling conflicted right now and my palms are sweaty and I kind of have a right. pit in my stomach. But how can maybe someone take more ownership for themselves? How can someone go about building these pillars? Ultimately, it's certainly something you can try to do on your own, but eventually would be great if it's socialized more throughout the organization. Mm-hmm. I wish we were all talking more about how knowledge and action are more important for customer satisfaction and customer centricity than another workshop to 
create empathy. And so I feel like we're all kind of focused on some of the wrong things right now. We got sucked in by some of the, I call them aspirologies, but these methodologies that are a little bit out of focus. And so I think that for starters, check yourself, as we would say, you know, check yourself. Are you claiming to have empathy, but it's not based in real knowledge about the customer? It's not based in qualitative stuff. Is, is it based on a guess? Is it based on a survey? Mm, update your knowledge. You're, you know, you might have fake empathy. What's the action you're taking? Congratulations. You have empathy. Maybe you have knowledge. What actions did we take? Did we make this better for customers? Are complaints going down? Are subscriptions or sales or usage going up or, or real metrics, not vanity metrics? You know, we can measure this stuff and, and it's not measured in empathy. Ultimately, we don't measure how the company's doing by the amount of empathy we had. If you have racist people at your company, I don't want to hear about your empathy. If you are designing ego projects for high paid stakeholders that are BS for the customer, I don't want to hear about your empathy. So mm -hmm. I think we have to kind of stop saying empathy. It's become meaningless. And we have to focus on having the right knowledge and taking the right action. Because without that, the empathy is meaningless. It's not, I mean, we always talk about meaningful and actionable. Let's do something meaningful and actionable rather than, hooray, I've got empathy. Check me out. Empathy, I feel like, is at the core of design language. And it's used so fluidly and constantly in, in many of our day-to-days. But I love that, like unpacking that, like, what are you doing with it? Okay, so you're feeling something. Maybe you're feeling something with someone else. But one, is this sympathy or is it empathy? And do, and do I even have the awareness to know yeah, I don't have like, a, I need a graphic for like, ding, 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 ding. You're right. I've only got yeah. lightning. Yes. <laughs> we, can, yes. Well, <laughs> we can do lightning. As designers, do we have the awareness of when we are sympathetic versus empathetic? No, nobody. We've redefined empathy so that we could make it a sticky note workshop. So a lot of people don't even know what empathy is anymore. And I'm going to give you this example. I recently finished a very large project for a very large company that I'm not sure I can name. Let's just say you'd know them. And my partner and I did 71 observational studies remotely through Zoom. And we sent every recording to the company. And they would say, which ones should we watch? And there was one where actually at the end of it, I was having trouble not tearing up because of something that the person said about how difficult their experience is with this company. And I said, you have to watch her. We sent that one over and I even hand wrote a transcript. I wanted to make sure they got everything this woman said because English wasn't her first language. And I said, so after you watch that, hands up, how many people were crying at the end of that? And almost every hand at this company went up. These people all said, we were crying or almost crying. And it was a whole bunch of people who'd watch this video. And to me, that's creating empathy. Not because mm -hmm. I held a workshop or put a sticky note on a wall or announced time to create empathy. These people naturally had empathy. And when they heard how this person was struggling, they were moved by it. They felt with her. That is the original definition of empathy. They felt mm -hmm. with her. Now that's rare. That's absolutely rare. And we know it's rare because there's so mm -hmm. much crappy racism and homophobia and sexism from people mm -hmm. who have no empathy. That's okay. I can't solve that today. Mm -hmm. But it just means we can't focus on everything being about empathy. We can only hope that 
For people who are moved, they'll be moved and then have the knowledge and take the action. And for the stakeholders who are not moved and didn't cry at the end of that interview, we hope that we'll be able to convince them with metrics and ROI that making the system better for that person and everybody like her is financially worth it. It's challenging at times for designers that for some reason they might be like removed from the research for whatever reason. And having that really like core empathy with users where maybe especially given this like COVID world that we're living in where you can't be maybe like next to a user using something or there might be a bit more distance. So I love that example of really empathy is feeling what the others are feeling. Kind of tying back to our topic, what would you say the bridge between empathy and being a low ego action hero is? I think that many low ego action heroes have empathy. And I think there's a a relationship between being lower ego and having empathy or at least very high sympathy for a customer. I think even people who are not great at empathy, even people who didn't cry at that video, who still say, oh my gosh, I didn't cry but I care about that person. I -hmm. care about that person and all the experiences like hers. So even if you don't have empathy, that's okay. But I think it still takes a low ego person to say, who cares what I feel? Who cares what I want? Who cares what I like? We've got people who are struggling. We've got customers who are frustrated. We've got customers who can't accomplish their tasks. We've got customers who get crappy emails from us. I think that's what it takes. And I think that's why I'm I'm shooting for low ego more than anything else. Because if we can put ourselves aside, then we can mm-hmm. focus on all the target users and customers, whether or not we happen to be high empathy people, since true empathy is rare, whether or not we happen to be high compassion people, because true compassion is rare. So I'm trying to not judge that in people. I think it's more important to be able to say, I take myself out of the equation. And to me, that's what low ego is. People say like, Deb, what's your calling in life? Why are you here? And I say, I'm a catalyst. I'm a catalyst Mm. for everybody. It doesn't matter what I personally achieve. I don't have to have my name on a statue. I'm rewarded by knowing I helped somebody else do something. So I'm a catalyst. Mm. And that's what I bring to my work is I may not get the certificate. I may not get the thanks from the vice president. I may not get the gold watch when I retire, but I'm going to make stuff better and different for people. And someone's going to have a better outcome. And that's the reward for me. And that's because I don't need the confetti and I don't need the parade. And parades are nice. Some people like them. They feel motivated by them, but I'm motivated by being a catalyst, by knowing I made things better for others, no matter what that outcome was for me. Because sometimes the outcome for me was they threw me off the project because they were tired of hearing me tell them they had bad ideas. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like what you are hinting at is a lot of this empathy and being low ego and knowing your why is really at the foundation is like self-awareness, cultivating that to better understand how to show up to know that Maybe you don't want the parade, but maybe you do. And neither is right or neither is wrong. But having that awareness to know how you want to show up as a designer really can help be that gateway to manage your ego in an effective way. Yeah. And I think managers should also watch out for the types of people they manage. Do you manage someone who likes the parade? 
who wants to hear good job, then you got to do it. You got to appreciate them. Some people say, I don't feel appreciated at my job. Well, is it because they didn't throw the parade for you? Or is it because they, they pooped on your ideas and threw you off the team? You know, I think good managers read or ask their direct reports. What does it look like for you to feel appreciated? What does it look like for you to feel respected? And learn what that is, because I think that's going to be a different language for each of us. Like for me, if, if someone asked me that, I would say, I want to know that I'm a change agent. I want to know I'm making a difference. And, you know, please let me teach and mentor others. Beautiful. So we've given a lot of context around what ego is and why it's important. But how would someone go about developing their low ego, becoming a low ego action hero? They're like, okay, I, I'm sold. Where do I start? Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, the club is free. You just have to be a low ego action hero. Yeah, I think that, so to me, the action hero is is something we should be at work that some people are afraid of, especially those newer to the profession. We've got to be that advocate. We have to stand up and say something. We have to speak up and be the advocate and the voice of the customer. We cannot be order takers. And so I think part of being an action hero is being the opposite of the order taker. A lot of people go, but Deb, at my job, they just say, wireframe it and rip off that competitor. And I really am an order taker. And I say, well, if you're an order taker at heart, then you might be a great production designer or someone who likes to just fulfill what's on the requirements list. But if you're what I call an interface scientist, then Mm -hmm. you might be a problem finder and problem solver. And an order taking job is not going to be for you because it's not going to satisfy your need to be an action hero. That's going to be about finding the right work environment and culture that allows you to be that that change agent or the problem finder and problem solver, not just order taker. And then for low ego, I think it's just a continuous look at emotional intelligence and its self-awareness. And I think the number one way is get feedback from mentors and coaches. And someone who is not just a cheerleader, but a really good mentor or coach who will say, you know, Rachel, right there, that came off a little bit egoy. Everybody who who hangs out on my YouTube channel knows that I tell the story of this person who was on LinkedIn. And I was talking about how Don Norman's trying to redefine UX education because education's so messed up and boot camps don't usually get you there and even degrees might not. And this up and coming UX researcher wrote back and said, and I'm giving them the tone of voice. I don't know their tone of voice. This was written on LinkedIn, but I'll turn them into a character. And they wrote back and said like, I don't know who Don Norman is or why I'm supposed to care, but like, maybe you can just tell me who he is. And I wrote back and I said, I can forgive you for not knowing who Don Norman is, but I can't forgive you for not Googling it. To me, that was a high ego moment from that person. And maybe that person struggles with high ego, but like, you know, why don't you do that for me? Like to me, as soon as my character ends up being my New York character- And I grew up in in New York, and and I feel like as soon as I take my character into the New York voice, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but every TV character who's supposed to be unlikable gets like a Brooklyn accent. So I find whenever I'm doing like unlikable character, I end up doing the same accent. It's the accent I had growing up. So I, I think if we can catch ourselves having some of these moments, that can be a growth opportunity and use it as a growth opportunity to go, oh, wow, I was kind of a jerk just there. Okay. Decaf today and breathe. Mm-hmm. Decaf today and breathe and being uh, open to like one, yes, Googling it, 
fact. So being open to that information, but also say you did put yourself out there and you were curious, then say you were wrong, whether it be leaving a comment on LinkedIn or putting yourself out there in design crit, which might be really scary for folks at times, or getting feedback from your manager or giving feedback, not taking things as heavy. Just today on LinkedIn, someone had written like, this is what I think the definition of empathy was. And it was like way, way off. And so I was writing in and like, well, actually, it's kind of closer to this. I think you're talking about sympathy. And we ended up going back and forth a number of times. And finally, the person wrote, and this was public until they deleted the whole thread. I'm paraphrasing. The person basically said, I should be encouraging them to learn rather than publicly humiliating them. And my thought was, okay, this person's having a a bit of an ego moment because they didn't see that I was trying to (laughs) encourage them to learn and I was trying to help them upgrade their definition of empathy or at least understand the definition between empathy and sympathy. But like, I find that some people, when they have that moment, especially if they feel like, oh my God, I was wrong and they're not totally comfortable with that. And especially in a public forum, it's easy to jump to, well, you're trying to humiliate me. We have to look for those moments where it's, well, you, or even if we don't say you, it was an implied you in this person's sentence, you know, people shouldn't try to publicly humiliate people. And I'm like, okay, that's you. So I think we have to kind of find these moments in ourselves and say, oops, that was a high ego moment. And I guess I was, I guess I was a little frustrated that I I wanted my definition of empathy to be accurate and someone saying it's not. So I guess I just have more to learn. To me, that's the best outcome from any conversation that goes pear-shaped is I should be open to to there being more to learn. So where else can folks find you? I'm mostly findable on the LinkedIn where I'm Debbie Lovett and this with more makeup. I usually post a handful of times a week. I'm pretty active there, but I'm pretty active on YouTube. I've got hundreds of videos of all different lengths, helping people at all stages of CX and UX career and work with anything I'm qualified to speak to. So uh, we also do Tuesdays office hours, ask me anything where I take questions for an hour. And uh, all of my live stuff is at 6.30 PM Italy time. Cause I'm in Italy. So just 9.30 AM for Rachel and anybody on the West coast. I hope people will join me there and ask some live questions and, and grill me. So, you know, and swearing is allowed. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you for your wisdom and thank you for your energetic nature. It's very much appreciated. And I hope that folks listening to this got value from this. And special, special thank you to Debbie for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your thirst for action and empathy and low ego. As Debbie mentioned before, follow up with her on all the different channels. And if you're curious more about design to be be sure to follow up as well. And thank you, everyone. And have an amazing start to your week and rest of your day. Thank you all. That wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you're curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E.com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest design to be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. 
be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening.